Thanks, Kit. Well, was it great to see our students leading in worship this morning? Wonderful to... We're, we're, we're going to come through this COVID thing, folks. We're, we're going to. Um, at the same time, I'm sure you're aware that there are a lot of our folks that are battling that right now. And it seems like we're getting um, word on more of our folks every week. Some of them have had or are having a fairly difficult time. So please remember to pray for uh, one another. God would continue to keep us safe even as we continue to seek to do uh, and live and be the people He's called us to be. It's, a, it's an incredible opportunity to be a witness in these days. Uh, so you keep praying and asking God for wisdom as we navigate them together. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open them to the great second chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at several verses in this chapter, but I want to read for us this morning just three verses to begin with. These ought to be very familiar verses to you, verses 8, 9, and 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. So whether you're gathered here with us today in this worship center or gathered around a television screen in front of your computer or phone, you take your copy of God's Word and follow along as I read the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, asking Jesus Christ into your life, having your sins forgiven, receiving God's gift of eternal life, becoming a Christian, is not an end. It is a start. It is a beginning. It is really a lot like planting a seed. I, I guess I'm a farmer at heart in some ways. I always love to dig around and in springtime love to get stuff in the ground. And the initial thing you have to do after you get the ground ready is you have to plant a seed but that's only the beginning. It's only the initiation of an incredible process of growth and development that you hope will, will take place in that garden. Now, it's Thanksgiving week. I brought a pumpkin with me this morning. Do you see it? Oh, not, not, not that pumpkin, this pumpkin. The one I'm holding in my hand. Say, so, wait a minute, preacher, you're not holding a pumpkin. You can't, you, no, you can't hold a pumpkin in your hand. I see that pumpkin. This can't be a Yes, I am. I'm holding a pumpkin in my hand. Actually, I guess to be technically correct, it's a pumpkin seed. But here's the reality. Everything you see right here 
is right here. Everything that you need to produce this beautiful fruit, and it, it is a fruit, by the way, not a veggie, it's a fruit. <laughs> Everything you see here in this beautiful fruit is encased in this small seed. Now, a seed is a tiny thing, but it can become a much bigger thing, a much more beautiful thing, if it is planted right, and if it is cultivated, and if it is fertilized, it will become something much bigger. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is really talking about the way that God plants His life in you and in me. And if that seed that God plants, which is His life within us, at the moment we become a Christian, if that is cultivated, if that is nurtured, then God wants to bring out of that initial planting of His life something much greater, something much more significant, something much more productive than just simply taking us on a journey from earth to heaven. Paul talks about this process throughout Ephesians chapter 2. Now, we didn't read all the verses there, but if you go back to verse 1, look at that verse with me. Paul begins this chapter by talking about our lives before Christ. And this is what he has to say. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, he's talking about Satan, the spirit of whom is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, there was a time before God planted his spirit in you and in me when Satan ruled completely in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And Paul says, you were spiritually dead. But then when you get down to verse 4, we see that something wonderful happened. Paul writes and he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. In other words, at some point in your life, if you're a Christian this morning, God saved you. He planted his life in you. And now we who were once spiritually dead are now made alive together in Christ. And that brings us to the verses that we read, verses 8 and 9, where Paul says, for it is by grace that this has happened. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This, this isn't your own doing. It's the gift of God so that no one has anything to boast about. Salvation, Paul makes very clear, and I trust you know this. Paul makes very clear that salvation is a supernatural bestowal. It is a gift. It is something God makes available freely to you and to me. It's not something we can earn. It's, it's, it's not anything we deserve or merit. 
It's not something we can bring about. It's all of God. It's all of grace. And that's important for us to recognize that. From time to time, maybe you've heard this too, I've heard someone say, hey, you know what? I found God. I found God. Now, I know what that person means when they say, I found God. I understand that. But that is not really theologically correct. We do not find God. God finds us. You see, Isaiah chapter 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. See, we're predisposed to turn to our way, not to God's way. We're not predisposed to run to God because we're sinners. We're predisposed to run away from God. But here's the neat thing. Because God is a God of grace, you know what he does? He positions himself so that even in our running away from him, guess what? We run right into him. That's grace. That's grace. Salvation is all of grace. So you can't say, I did it. I can't say, look what I've done. This is why you can't go to church and earn it. You can't pay money and buy it. You can't be good enough and somehow merit it. You can't be baptized and and just sort of get it by osmosis. You can't be better than your neighbor and be awarded it because salvation, is it's all of God. We, We can't boast that we've done anything here. It's all of grace. But the question that we're wanting to look at this look at this morning is this okay once you've got it once you've been saved once you've got salvation what do you do with it what happens next well that's Ephesians 2 verse 10 this is where Paul says for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I want to make sure that you know, before you leave this auditorium this morning, I want to make sure you know, I want to make sure I know and that we understand very clearly why God saved us and what it is He wants to do with us now that we are Christians. A couple of things I'm going to share with you this morning very quickly. And the first one is this. I want to make sure you understand what the Word of God has to say about your great potential as a believer, your great potential as a follower of Jesus Christ, your great potential as a Christian. And Paul gives that to us here in verse 10, the first part where he says, for you are God's workmanship. I want to spend a little bit of time looking at this word workmanship because it is a powerful word. It's been translated a variety of different ways depending upon uh, the translation that you're using. Some translate, we are his creation or his great creation. Others will say, we are his handiwork. The English Standard Version says, we are his workmanship. But the word really means 
masterpiece. Some of your translations may say that. We are His masterpiece. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Do you think about your life that way as a follower of Christ? That God has created you to be His masterpiece. And the idea here is that of taking a painting that has been painted by a great artist and hanging that painting up in a gallery so that when people come by and look at the painting, they are so captivated, they are so overwhelmed, they are so impacted by what they see that all they can talk about is the greatness of the artist. Now, I want you to think about that. Paul says, you have been saved, if you have been, you have been saved by the grace of God so that he can take you and place you in the gallery of life so that when other people look at you, they are so captivated, they are so overwhelmed, they are so impacted by what they see in you that all they can talk about is the greatness of God. All they can talk about is how incredible God must be, how awesome God must be. They look at your life, they look at my life, and they say, man, what a great God. Isn't that something? I mean, really, think about that. Have you ever thought about your life in that way? That's how God looks at your life. That's how the Word of God describes your life. God created you to be His masterpiece that would reflect His greatness. Now, if you think about, think about all of the great paintings through the centuries I'm talking about the ones that are, that are classed as masterpieces, those that count, uh, that cost millions and millions of dollars. If you think about those masterpieces, you will realize that they are always known by the artist's name. Someone will say, well, that's a Da Vinci. That's a Rembrandt. That's a Monet. That's a Renoir. That's a Picasso. See, all of the masterpieces are known by the name of the master who painted them. We need to understand something this morning, Christians. We need to understand that God has created us to be His masterpieces. He wants His name to be so identified with our lives, he wants our lives to be such a reflection of his greatness and his majesty that when people look at us, they say, what a great God. Now that's your potential. That's what you are here for. That is part of why God 
saved you. That is why he has not already taken you to heaven. He wants to leave you here for a while because he wants to hang you in the gallery of life and he wants to show you off for his glory, his greatness. Question is, can he do that with your life? That's the question. Can he do that with your life? Unfortunately, I'm afraid many times God might rather hide some of his paintings. He doesn't want to put some of us on display. Because the paint of our lives is running. The colors have faded. The canvas is cracking. Too many of our lives do not reflect His glory. They do not adequately represent who He is in His holiness and His greatness. We do not make God look awesome. See, His name may be on the painting of our lives, but we're living in sin. We're living in disobedience. We reflect actions and attitudes that are an embarrassment to His name. I wonder sometimes if if God doesn't flinch when He sees us on display and He says, wow, that, that, that really makes me look bad. I, 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 I don't I don't want to hang that one up. I need to hide this one. Do you understand that every time a person looks at you and you identify yourself as a Christian, Every time somebody looks at you and says, well, he's a Christian, she's a Christian, the name of God automatically becomes associated with your life, and by your life and by your lifestyle, you have the ability to either make God look great or make him look lousy. See, God's name's on the painting of your life if you're a Christian. He created you to be his masterpiece. He wants to hang you up and show you off. He wants people to look at your life and he wants them to say, what a great God, but but can he do that? Are you living up to that kind of potential in your home? At school? Where you work? In your church, the way you relate to and talk to and speak about fellow believers. You have an incredible potential as a masterpiece of God. When God plants His life in you, the potential of what you can be and become is incredibly great. It can be something beautiful. It can be something that reflects His glory and His majesty. It can be something that draws other people to Him. But it doesn't happen automatically. 
There's some things that need to take place. There's some things you need to understand. And so let me move beyond your potential as a masterpiece, what you can become, to look at your, at your purpose as a believer in Christ. Look at verse 10 again. There's so much in this verse. Paul says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Here's why you were created. You are God's, this is your purpose. You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do something. What? To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's how you become a masterpiece. Here's how you reflect the greatness and the glory of God. That happens, Paul says, as you do good works. Now, we need to be careful here because we've already seen back in verses 8 and 9 that you were saved totally apart from works, right? You don't work for your salvation. You're not saved by doing some kind of good work to please God. So you're not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. You are saved to do something. You're saved, Paul says, so that you can do these good works. Now, when the Word of God talks about good works, let me make sure you understand something. When God talks about doing good works, He's not talking about doing good things. He's not saying your purpose as a masterpiece of God is to be a good person, have a good attitude, set a good example, be a good friend. Now, obviously, as a Christian, you should be and you should do all of those things. But when we talk about doing good works, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about doing good things. Anybody can do a good thing. Let me tell you what good works are. We'll give you a very simple definition of good works. You ought to be able to remember this. Good works, biblically, are God's works. Good works are God's works. When the Bible talks about you doing good works, it is talking about you doing the very work of God. And Paul says before you were ever saved, before you ever became a Christian, before God planted his seed, uh, a seed of his life in your life, he had already prepared some things for you to do that would advance his program, promote his agenda, extend his kingdom. Part of the reason why God saved you, your purpose for being here, is so that he can do his work through you. See, you're not only to, to reflect his greatness and his power, but you're to actually become a channel through which the greatness and the power of God goes to work in the world. You're to be involved in the very work of God. Now the question becomes, how do I know what the work of God is and how do I know what it is he wants me to do and how do I get involved with that? I'm glad you ask. It's a very important question. Hold your fingers in Ephesians chapter 2. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Very important text which talks to us about how we can know the work of God that he wants us to do. It's talking about the Bible here. It says, beginning with verse 16, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. That means it tells you what to do. For rebuking, that means it tells you when you're wrong. For correcting, that means it tells you how to make things right. For training in righteousness, it tells you how God wants you to live. Watch this, so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for what? For every good work. This book, the Word of God, is is breathed into reality by Him for the purpose of training you and equipping you and preparing you to do the work of God. And the only way you'll ever be able to do the work of God is for you to know what the work of God is. And the only way you'll know what the work of God is, is if you know this book. This book, the Bible, is God's authoritative, comprehensive guide to understanding His work. And one of the reasons... One of the reasons why we are not many times well-equipped and prepared to do the work of God is because, folks, too many of us are biblically and theologically illiterate. We don't know what this book has to say to us about doing the work of God. Now, I'm not suggesting we don't know anything about the Bible. We know we know a lot about it. Many of us can, 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 can relate very well. Some of the Bible stories, Adam and Eve, David, Goliath, Noah and the flood, you know, the, the, the birth of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ. We, we know all those Bible stories, but listen, for you personally, right now, individually, as a believer, let's move beyond that for a minute. And let me ask you, What do you really know this morning about the deep things of God? Do you really understand what it means when Paul says you must be crucified with Christ? Do you you understand what that means? Do, Do you know and are you living out What Scripture says in Romans chapter 12 when it says that the greatest thing we can do as an act of worship is to present our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord? Have you really discovered the secret to being content in any And every circumstance, do you know what Jesus is asking of you when he declares that as his followers you are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? When Jesus said, if you want to save your life, You must lose it. Do you have a clue what that means for you individually? Listen, any and every one of us here this morning can do good things. But we will never do good works in the biblical sense. 
We will never become participants in the working of God in the world until we have made a commitment to know this book and to live out what it says. In every area and in every arena of life, this is not just a Sunday thing. This is an everyday thing. This is a life thing. It is why God saved you to do God's work right here in your home, in your community, in your church, in all of the places where you live and move. That's why God saved you. Let me, let me, let me show you something else about good works here. I referenced this verse last week, I believe. Another very familiar text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Matthew 5, 16. Again, Jesus is speaking here. This is, this is part of His instruction in the great Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus speaks and He says, Let your light shine before men. That, that's just another way of saying what Paul says. Let God hang you in the gallery of life and show you off. Let your light shine before others. Why? Watch this. So they may see what? Your good works. So that they may see God doing His work through you. And when they see God doing His work through you, what happens? Jesus says, they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They will say, man, what a great God. What an awesome God. There has to be a God, and He has to be real because I see Him working in and through this person's life. God created you to be His masterpiece so that others may, Jesus says, see your good works, so that the people around you would see in you the very working of God. And this is why I've got to tell you, church, now please don't misunderstand, hear me out. Uh, you know, I don't want you to take me to the, to the preacher woodshed for what I'm going to say here. But this is why it is never enough, it is never enough I'm going to say it one more time. It is never enough for someone to just simply say, I've got Jesus in my heart. Preacher, I've got Jesus in my heart. Well, I'm glad you do. That's great. That's great. But is He in your hands? Is He in your feet? Is he on the tip of your tongue? Jesus said, let your light shine so that people may see your good works. People cannot see what's in your heart. They can only see what you do with your life. They can only see the way you live. 
Paul says when people look at you, when they hang around you, when they watch you, when they listen to you, do they see in you the greatness of God? Do they see in you the working of God? Do they say, man, when I look at him, when I look at her, when I listen to that person, I know God is real. I know God is great, and I want his God, I want her God to be my God because I want what he has. I want what she has. I want my life to be that masterpiece that reflects his greatness. i got to tell you, church, in my lifetime, I do not know when there has been a more desperate day when the world out there needs to be able to see the difference Jesus Christ has made in here. And the way they will see that, the way they will see that. And Jesus said they need to see in us, not just hear from us, but see in us the working of God. You know what my prayer is for Taylor's First Baptist Church? My prayer is that we would become the greatest art gallery that there is in the state of South Carolina, the nation, and the world. That God would find in us a host of His masterpieces that He can hang up and show off that will reflect His glory and His greatness. See, it starts like this, but it's supposed to end like this. Something beautiful, something marvelous, something transformative as God carries out His work through His masterpieces, you and me. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time together. We thank You for Your Word. You have planted Your life in us, and that life in us is supposed to radically change us. Change the way we look at life. Change the way we live life. Change the way we act and react to the things of life. You have declared an incredible thing to us, your people. You have said that we are your masterpieces. You have signed your name to the canvas of our lives. And the painting of it is there, the picture that is there, the beauty that should be there should reflect your greatness and your goodness so that when people look at us, they're overwhelmed, they're impacted, they're overcome even. 
with who you are. And through us, Father, you're able to work and move and draw other people to yourself. You're able to heal relationships. You're able to change communities. You're able to overcome division. You're able to bring peace. And oh God, how we need that. We need it in our own lives. We need it in our church. We need it in our communities. And God, you've given us the prescription. You've you've told us so clearly. So God, give give us a hunger to be a people of your word to receive your instruction, to understand what it really means to be your followers, to to gain clarity into the work that you have called us to do, your work. That we may always reflect in every area and arena of life your greatness for your glory. May that be our prayer this morning that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you, would you join me in standing this morning? We're, we're going to sing a familiar hymn, All to Jesus, I Surrender. All to Him, I, I freely give. Would, would that be your prayer this morning? Lord, here, here's my life. I, I can see where the colors are fading here. I can see an area in my life where, where that, that pain is running. I know the 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 canvas is cracked in this area. You know, God is the master artist. He can repair those flaws. He can can renew that painting. He can bring back the beauty in that color. And He can take your life and do things with it that you cannot imagine. But it begins with understanding what your potential is as His masterpiece. Living out your purpose. Letting God do His work through you. And if He's able to do that this morning, what a difference not only in your life, but in our world. If you need to respond this morning, you want to come to these altars, if I can pray with you, I'm here to do that as we sing. Scott, you lead us as we commit this time to the Lord.